Let's say how thankful we are to be back together again this evening. I hope that you've all had an enjoyable day. My wife and I have enjoyed it very much and looking forward to uh, our time together tonight and our fellowship afterwards and all of the activities through the week. We're so thankful for those of you that have driven in this afternoon. We're grateful that you had a, a safe trip and that you've come to be a part of this meeting and we look forward to your contribution and we look forward to what you bring to this occasion so that we can all be edified and encouraged and strengthened in, in the faith of our Lord. This evening for a little while I would like for us to study the tale of two kings. <clears throat> And our texts are going to come from the Old Testament, 2, Corinth, or 2 Kings pardon me, 21, 1 through 18, and 2 Chronicles 33, 1 through 20. I like studying some of these Old Testament characters, and generally I think it's a good Sunday night study to go through and to look at a king, to understand some of these characters, and to draw practical application and practical lessons that we can learn from their lives many, many years ago. Now we might wonder, what does a king that lived maybe 600 to 700 years before the time of Christ in the land of Judah have to do with a bunch of West Texas farmers or a West Texas retired school teacher? Has a lot. And the reason they have a lot to do with us is because they're human and we're human. And you can look at all of the trappings around the king and you can look at all of the trappings that we have around us in our life and though, though those trappings may look different, whenever you cut down to the very core of who we are, we're pretty much the same people. And the attitudes and the mistakes and the achievements that the kings made are the same attitudes, mistakes, and achievements that you and I can make Maybe not on as grand a level as a king, but in a level anyway, in a way that honors and glorifies God, or in a way that brings about sin and destruction among God's people. And we're going to look at two kings this evening. The first king is mentioned in 2 Kings 21 and verse number 2. The Bible says about this king that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And the second king that we're going to look at is in 2 Chronicles 33 verse number 13 where the Bible tells us that this king knew that the Lord was God. So we're going to contrast two kings. We're going to look at a king that did evil in the sight of the Lord and we're going to look at a king that knew that the Lord was God. Now the first king that we're going to look at is King Manasseh, considered the most wicked of all of the kings of the kings of Judah. In fact, the sin that brought about the captivity of, the Judah, of Judah to Babylon is named after him, the sin of Manasseh. Because of the sin of Manasseh, I'm going to deliver you into the captivity of the Babylonians. So that's our evil king. And then the king that we read about in 2 Chronicles is none other than King Manasseh. <laughs> that king that knew that the Lord was God. You know, whenever you look at these two writings, the writings of the kings and the writings of the chronicles, it's interesting to understand when these records were written. The record of the kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, was written in about the mid-500 B.C., whenever the children of Israel were in the middle of their captivity in Babylon. 
And so a record was made of the evil and the sins of the king so that the people who were in captivity would understand what happened before they went into captivity. And so that whenever they came out of captivity, they would have a record of memory of the sin that led them there. But the Chronicles was written in about, in about mid-400 B.C., after they came out of the Babylonian captivity. You see, the restoration of King Manasseh is not mentioned in 2 Kings because the record there was to show to the people their sin that led them into captivity. But the record in Chronicles speaks of a man who repented before the Lord and came to know that the Lord was God as a record to the people that there is restoration after God's punishment and God's judgment. And what we want to do this evening is look at King Manasseh. We're going to go through and hit the highlights of his life, and then we're going to conclude by making some applications, some points that hopefully we can take and use in our life as we learn from the life of this king. And the, and the lessons are many. We're going to learn a lesson about parenting. We're going to learn a lesson about the ill effects of sin. And hopefully when we conclude this, we'll have a much greater respect for sin and what sin really is and what sin really does to people. And then we're also going to understand the importance of repentance and understand what repentance is and what repentance does, but also what repentance doesn't do. One of the things that I want us to take from this tonight is that God just doesn't sit in heaven and just, you know, waiting for us to pull his chain. God's got a plan. And God's got a purpose. And God doesn't work on our timetable. God works on his timetable and according to his purpose. And I'm afraid that sometimes we feel like we can manipulate God. Well, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be bad because I know, hey, God is there. And all I got to do is just say, God, I'm sorry. And everything is going to be okay. It ain't going to be okay. And hopefully we can see from the example of Manasseh how serious sin is. Not just the committing of sin and, a, and accumulating guilt before God, but the power of sin and the lasting influence sin can have on the people that around us that we love long after we have repented and come to the Lord for forgiveness. Whenever we look at Manasseh, first thing we want to know is that he came from a good heritage. He was the son of the good king Hezekiah. Whenever you look at the kings of Judah, there were no good kings in Israel, but in Judah there were some good kings and there were some bad kings. And whenever you look at a list of kings, usually the good kings, you're going to find Hezekiah and you're going to find Josiah. And so whenever we look at Manasseh's father, the first thing I want us to know is that he was a good king. 2 Kings 18, chapter, or verse 3 and verses 5 to 7, it says that Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Not a greater commendation could be given to a king of Judah than to be compared to King David. 
In verse 5 it says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. That was the father of Manasseh. And as a father, I hope that That is what could be said of me. And as fathers sitting in the audience, we should all aspire to have this record written concerning us, that we do right in the sight of the Lord, that we trust in the Lord God, that we hold fast to the commandments of the Lord and we don't depart from them, and that the Lord is with us. And so Manasseh came from this heritage, from this man. But somehow... Manasseh did not follow in the footsteps of his father, Hezekiah. But rather he was an evil king. 2 Kings 21 in verse number 2, the Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But not only did he do evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Whenever the children of Israel went into the promised land, all of the nations that were there were to be driven out because they had filled the cup of their iniquity. They had reached the limit of their iniquity. And so God was going to move them out of the land and move Israel into the land. And so it says in this record concerning Manasseh that whenever you consider the evil that Manasseh did, put it on a par with the people that God drove out whenever the children of Israel came into the land. Whenever we look at Manasseh's profile in verse number 11 of 2 Kings 21, he was king, he did those things that were an abomination. He has acted more wickedly than all of the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Now Genesis 15 tells us that the children of Israel weren't going to go into the promised land until the iniquity of the Amorites had been filled. And so whenever it was filled, it was all of the iniquity that God was going to take. And so he takes them out of the land, brings them in Israel, and then now in the person of Manasseh as being king of Judah, his wickedness is more than the wickedness of the Amorites. Grasp the gravity of his wickedness. In 2 Chronicles 33 and verse number 9, Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh's sin was so great that the comparison is always made back to the people that God drove out. That he was as bad or worse than them. Here are some of Manasseh's actions. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So Hezekiah, in reforming Judah, went around and he tore down all of the high places where people would go out to these groves and to these different places of worship and offer sacrifices to idols. His father tore them all down and then Hezekiah comes in right behind him and builds them all up. Now as a father, how would you like to have a son like that? He raised up the altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Ahab was the epitome of wickedness in the northern kingdom of Israel. And here Manasseh in the southern kingdom 
is carrying out the same atrocities in raising up idolatry. He worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. He built altars of all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire. He offered his son as a burning sacrifice to the god Molech. Are we grasping the depth of his depravity and how profound his sinfulness was? He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He even carved an image of Asherah that he had made and he put it in the house of the Lord. He shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. He made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So this is the person that was the king of Judah. This is the person that later on the biblical record tells us he knew that the Lord was God. And then the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 10, while all of this was going on, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. A very, very dark time in Judah. A very, very low place for God's people. And Judah, or rather Manasseh, reigned over them. Well, God had had enough. The depravity was so profound, the iniquity had abounded to the point to where God determined judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. In 2 Kings 21, verses 11 and 15, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he's acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears it, both his ears will tingle. I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. God had determined judgment upon the nation of Judah. And he said that he's going to use the same judgment against them that he used against the northern kingdom and King Ahab. And he was going to take Judah and he was going to wipe them clean and then set them down and turn them over as if to say, I'm finished with you. And so in verse number 14, he says, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. They shall become victims of the plunder to all their enemies because they've done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. So Judah was so evil under Manasseh that God said, my judgment is declared. And his judgment was fixed. <clears throat> And so God chastens Manasseh. In 2 Chronicles 33, verse number 11, it says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captain of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. 
And so then the Lord sends chastening against Manasseh and takes him, and as was the custom of ruthless foreign nations of that day, they would take hooks and run the hooks through their mouths, and then they would lead them away in fetters and carrying him off to a distant land, the land of Babylon. But when he got there, something happened. When Manasseh arrived in Babylon, the Bible tells us, there it is, 2 Chronicles 33, now when he was in affliction, you know, whenever you're being led away with a hook run through your lip, and you've got chains and shackles on your wrist and on your feet, and you're being carried off to a distant land, and you're a king, and then all of a sudden you're thrown in a dungeon with all sorts of people from other nations who have been beaten down and abused and in despair, you know what? That's probably a moment of reflection. A salient moment where Manasseh stops and he begins to think and consider his life. And as he considered his life in his affliction, the Bible says he implored the Lord his God. Remember back earlier where the Bible told us that, the, that they wouldn't listen to the Lord and now Manasseh is speaking to the Lord. I wonder if the Lord will listen to him. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And so here is a man who was the epitome of evil and depravity. Now he is down on his hands and his feet in the dirt of some dungeon crying out to God in humility and contrition and affliction. And what did God do? God's response was he received his entreaty. He heard his supplication and he brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then Manasseh was restored because then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And so that's a quick overview of Manasseh's life. Notice how that it was at the height of evil. He was brought low by God and then he was restored back to his place in the kingdom and he knew that the Lord was God. So what do we learn from all of that? There's some very important lessons for us to learn. The first lesson that I want us to notice has to do with parenting. <laughs> As a parent, <clears throat> a failed test or complacency can undo a lifetime of influence. Hezekiah was his father. Hezekiah was a king that the Bible says there was none like him after him or before him. Hezekiah is hailed as the greatest or one of the greatest kings of Judah. How can a person like Manasseh come from the home of a man like Hezekiah? Well, whenever we look at Hezekiah and we look towards the end of his life, there's been different opinions as to how this worked out. Here's what I think. I think that Hezekiah became complacent in his old age. You know, if you'll remember back to Hezekiah, the Lord was with him. The Lord had blessed him. There was a time when Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, was bearing down upon Judah, and Hezekiah, in his desperation, cried out to the Lord, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, save me. 
and that this battle was going to be the Lord's and that the Lord took 185,000 men from the army of Sennacherib and defeated them and gave Hezekiah victory over the Assyrians. Pretty good. Then later on it's recorded that Hezekiah became sick and the Lord told him, Hezekiah, set your house in order. And then Hezekiah says, no, Lord, and he prays to the Lord, Lord, give me 15 more years. And you know what? The Lord gives him 15 more years. And whenever we look at Manasseh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he ascended to the throne, which would have put his birth in that 15-year period after Hezekiah had prayed to the Lord. And my thinking is that in Hezekiah's old age, he became complacent. He began to look at all of the blessings that God gave to him. And because of all of those blessings, he felt confident that everything was going to work out good for him. So much so that he wasn't the father that he should have been. Notice what the Bible says. In 2 Chronicles 32 and verse number 31, in the latter part of Hezekiah's life, there were some ambassadors that came from Babylon. And the scripture tells us whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land. And God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. And so God had been blessing Hezekiah and so these ambassadors come down to Judah to check out all of the things that Hezekiah had. And the Lord withdrew himself as if to say, you know what, I'm going to step back and I'm going to look and see how Hezekiah handles this. And I'm going to look and see just exactly what is in his heart. Well, whenever they came, he took them and he showed them all of the wonders and all of the possessions that God had given to him. Well, we might think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, number one, you don't show your enemies all the possessions and wonders that you have. Why is that? Because they're going to come steal them. But Hezekiah, in his pride, wanted to display all that God had given to him, not for the glory of God, but for his own glory. He didn't, like Moses didn't do at the, with the water and the rock, he didn't sanctify the Lord God in the eyes of these people, but rather presented everything that God had given to him as validation of his own greatness and favor that God gave to him. And God looked at that and says, Hezekiah, you failed. Rather than dealing with the blessings and dealing with the possessions that I've given to you in a reverent way to use them for my glory and my purpose, you take them to yourselves and use them as a, as, as a, as a token of your own greatness before your enemies. And so the Bible says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who shall descend from you, whom you will begat, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? <laughs> Now notice that last statement. You know, if I was told or you were told that something terrible was going to come upon you and happen, what would your concern be? Well, my concern would probably be for my family and for my children. What was Hezekiah's concern? 
Well, will there not at least be peace and truth in my days? And so towards the end of Hezekiah's life, he kind of came all about himself. And he was complacent and possibly did not give to Manasseh the, the training and the attention that he needed in order to secure him in becoming a faithful follower of the Lord. So what's the lesson for us? As parents, we must be sure we must be sure to never become complacent. We must be sure to never fail the test, but to always display before our children the glory of God so that whenever they grow up, they will choose to worship Him and put their faith in Him and walk in His ways. Don't take it for granted that just because you're a good guy that your kids are going to be, a good, be good people. Well, I take them to church. And, you know, I do the routine. We're just going to kind of roll and rock along. But you know what's happening while you're rolling and rocking along? Satan is looking to savage. He's looking to savage. And so that's how such an evil person can come from a person whose biblical profile tells us that he was a righteous and good king. So as fathers tonight, as parents tonight, understand the importance of being diligent and being faithful and never becoming complacent and never taking for granted God's favor in your life. Oh, well, he gave me a great victory in the war. He gave me 15 years of more life, so I'm sure my kids are going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. And if we let the blessings and favor that God gives to us create within us a complacency, then we're going to have things happening in our families that we never thought would happen. We must be diligent. The second lesson that we can learn is that when people will not hold faithfully to the commands of the Lord, they're easily seduced into error and rebellion. <clears throat> you know, Manasseh was an evil king, but one of the reasons he was so, so uh, effective in seducing Judah is because Judah was ignorant of God's commandments. In 2 Kings 21, in this house and in Jerusalem, when I've chosen out all of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses has commanded. But they paid no attention. And because they paid no attention, then Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. If you don't want to be seduced to evil, know the commandments of the Lord. If you don't want your children to be seduced to evil, teach them the commandments of the Lord. Because if we don't learn the commandments of the Lord, if we don't teach our children the commandments of the Lord, then they'll be seduced by the world as we talked about this morning. And as Judah was. You see, Judah had just come through the kingship of Hezekiah and they saw what righteousness looked like. But because they weren't grounded in the commandments, as soon as someone came in that was evil, they immediately were seduced into evil. We must know and understand the commandments of the Lord. Another lesson we can learn from Manasseh is that affliction is necessary for repentance. 
2 Chronicles 33 and verse 12, he was in affliction. He implored the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. You know, there might come a time in your life, might come a time in my life, might come a time in the life of your children that God puts a hook in their mouth. That that's what's necessary for God to put a hook in our mouth and to drag us to a place of affliction to get us to stop and think about the direction of our life. You know, David, he prayed in the Psalms for the Lord to afflict him that he might learn his commandments. There is grace in affliction. There is teaching in affliction. And we need to understand that as we walk the course of our life, if we're going to continue in sin, then there could come a time whenever the Lord puts us in fetters and a hook in our mouth and drags us off to our Babylon in order to get us to understand the gravity of our sin. Can't you just see Manasseh sitting there in Babylon? What has happened? What has happened? And there's a lot of people tonight who have lived in sin that are sitting in the loneliness and the solitude of their home, living a broken, isolated life, asking the same question, what has happened? What has happened? As parents, if God chooses to afflict your children, don't save them from their affliction. No, you see that a lot. Whenever children's sin has taken them to their Babylon, where children's sin has taken them to their hook and their fetters, at a time in their life where in their brokenness they can seek to God, and then mom and dad all of a sudden think, oh no, we've got to go save our child. But the problem is God is already trying to save him through their affliction. Leave them there. Let them hurt. Let them cry. Let them suffer. But so many persist in sin because their loved ones will continually save them from the affliction that God wants them to have in order to learn and come to an awareness of their sin. Affliction is necessary for repentance. True repentance seeks reform in oneself and those he has influenced to evil. After Manasseh repented in 2 Chronicles 33, notice what he did. After this, he built a wall. He began to fortify the city of David. He put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. He cast them out of the city. He repaired the altars of the Lord. He sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. In his repentance, he was tearing down the things that needed to be tore down. In his repentance, he was building up the things that needed to be built up. In his repentance, he was fortifying the things that had become weak. And that's what true repentance looks like. Repentance is just not, sorry God. Repentance is rolling up your sleeves and addressing the issue that brought you to the point to where you needed repentance and that's what Manasseh did and whenever we repent this is what it means to bring forth fruit 
for repentance. But not only did he go through all of that, but notice the very last line, he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Because Manasseh knew, I have led Judah down the wrong path. I have influenced Judah to become evil. So in my repentance, it's not just enough for me to repent, but it is, I am constrained within my heart to call to repentance all of those people that I have influenced. And so he called them. And that's another mark of true repentance. I'm not only going to repent to my, for myself, but I'm going to call to repentance those people that I have influenced into sin. <clears throat> Traces of our old ways can still influence others even after our repentance. You know something that repentance does? is it takes away the guilt of your sin. But one thing that repentance does not do is take away the influence of your sin. Think about that for just a moment. You know, we think that repentance makes everything right. It doesn't make everything right. Because after we have lived and we've walked in a sinful way, we are leaving traces of our old ways behind. And those traces of our old ways are left for the influence of other people. Whenever we look at the example of Judah, uh, Manasseh was doing all of this tearing down and he was doing all of this building up. It says he repaired the altar, uh, sacrificed peace offerings, commanded Judah to serve the Lord. Then it says, nevertheless... The people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. There was a trace of Manasseh's evil. It was some of those high places that he had built. And so people were going to those high places. They were sacrificing to the Lord their God, but they weren't completely restored in their worship to God because they weren't going all the way back to the temple of God. But they were seeking to worship God in an idol's place. So their restoration wasn't complete. And we need to understand that whenever we walk our walk in life and whenever we sin, we're leaving traces of our sin behind us. Think of all of the people that you've passed by on your walk in life. Think of all of the people that you passed by when you were at your worst. And they saw you and the things that you did. And they saw me and the things that I did. And our sin is left a trace for them. And we walk away and we go our way. And they walk away and go their way. And we may walk over here and repent. But you know what? Those people don't know that. They're carrying with them the influence of my sin in their life. That's the danger of sin. That even after we repent, the effects of our sin can still have influence in the lives of other people. So don't think, well, I'll just sin, 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 and then whenever I repent, everything will be good. No, it won't be good because you're going to leave some high places. You're going to leave some altars maybe. You're going to leave some things broken down that are going to cause other people to stumble in the way. That's why we must always, always 
Be careful in our walk and in our service to the Lord. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 33, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. This is Manasseh's son. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Well, wait, wait, I thought Manasseh repented. <laughs> he did repent. But the damage with his son was already done. The damage was already done. And it says that Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. Manasseh repented, but there were still those carved images that were left as traces of his evil life that the generation coming behind him took and set up and they began to worship. Yeah, Manasseh repented, but did that solve everything? No. <clears throat> and he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more. And that leads us to this one. Irreparable damage can be caused through a life of evil even though a person may repent in the end. You know, whenever we look at Manasseh, it was during the time of Manasseh that God made the decision, I'm going to bring a calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah. Under Manasseh, Manasseh's sin has filled up the cup. Judgment is pronounced. In 2 Kings 23, in verse number 26, <clears throat> during the time of Josiah, during the times of the reforms of Josiah, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all of the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And so in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Jehoiakim became a vassal for three years and he turned and he rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove from his, them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh. But wait a minute. I thought Manasseh repented. Well, he did repent. But notice that whenever Manasseh repented, God did not back off of his judgment of Judah. God had already determined the judgment that was going to take place. So even though the king, who is the namesake of the sin for which they were punished for, repented, he still carried out his judgment. The damage had already been done. And we need to understand that in our repentance, though again, that takes away the guilt and deals with the guilt that we have before God, the damage is done. It doesn't repair everything. That's the gravity of sin. Sin is not just a little mark on a chalkboard that we can come and erase. But rather sin are actions that are before people, in the minds of people, in the hearts of people, that have long-lasting impact even after maybe we've made the decision to do right. 
He says, I will, have a hand, I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You've gone backwards. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. And so whenever we look at Manasseh's story and we look at the change that Manasseh t- uh, made in his repentance, we need to understand that a season of repentance doesn't undo a lifetime of sinful influence. If you're a parent here tonight and you're apathetic towards your children, Maybe you're not living right and you're not setting a good example before your kids and, you know, it's not a really big deal and you're thinking, well, you know, well, maybe some other time down the road. Every second that you choose to walk the wrong way, you're forming within your children a heart of rebellion that later on down the road you may say, God, I want to change, but your children are already gone. I sit in nursing home, a nursing home, listening to an aged couple talking about their children that are never coming back. I sit across a kitchen table with a mother who just cries and cries as her children live out the consequences of her decisions and her husband's decisions. She wants to serve the Lord and she loves the Lord and she's repented but the damage has already been done. Don't take sin lightly. Don't think that God is just there and all we've got to say is, God, I repent, God, I forgive, and He's going to flip a switch and everything's going to be great again. No. Though repentance brings us to forgiveness that takes away our guilt before God, we see from the story of Manasseh that the influences of our sin continue to live on among the people that we're around and the generations that come after us. And so as we look at this story, our call to you tonight is to learn from the mistake of Manasseh. To learn how that he gave himself over to evil and continued in that evil. And it took the affliction of God to bring him to an understanding. And that he did repent but the damage had already been done. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, God calls you to repentance. Now the decisions that you've made in your life, God can't go back and undo those decisions for you. He can't go back and take your sins and make them unsin. All He can do is deal with you now where you are. And while your sin may have great ramifications in the lives of those that are around you, the greatest need that you have it right have right now is the condition of your soul before God and God has called you to repentance to turn from your sin to put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that his death that his sacrifice can pay the price for your sin that you can be a child of God and come into a right relationship with him by being baptized into Christ and if you're here tonight don't put that off Because the longer you wait, not only are you adversely affecting your heart in that decision, but you're adversely affecting the hearts of those people that you're influential with in your life. And if you are a Christian, maybe you look at your life 
And maybe you've had godly influences in your life and you've seen displays of righteousness, but you haven't learned the commandments of the Lord and you've gone into sin. You've been seduced by Satan to walk in sin. Don't think that God is just sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed saying, you know, well, I'm just going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on him. As if he's working off of your timetable. It was just like with Judah. God had his timetable for Judah. And once it was set, it was set. His decision was made. The repentance of Manasseh was good, but it didn't change his attitude towards the sin of Judah. Understand that God pleads with you and there's an urgency right now for you to come to repentance so that you don't continue in sin and leave traces of sin and an influence of sin that are going to be hurtful to the souls of people that are around you. So if we can help one or more of either case, we'd ask you to come up to the front as we stand and sing the song select.